Hey, welcome to the Impact Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you like it was to us. Let's go ahead and jump into it. Acts chapter 26. We're going to begin reading in verse number 23. Before you stand, let me give you some backstory so I don't have you standing for a synopsis of where we're at here in Scripture. Where we're, Paul is on his essentially just concluded his uh, I don't know, third missionary journey, I think, right? And he had, he'd been arrested, and he is uh, basically on death on a death sentence. He's on death row. Essentially, he's been arrested, in, in, and the Bible says he appealed to Caesar. He wanted to plead his case to Caesar. But on his way to Caesar, he had to make a pit stop to King Agrippa. Everybody say Agrippa. All right. Agrippa was the Roman king, or he was the Jewish kind of leader or king, if you will, that, that Rome had appointed to lead Jerusalem and Israel at the time. So the Roman government, we all know, had rule over the, uh, the country of Israel and, the, and, and Jerusalem. And, you know, Caesar was kind of the, the emperor of the Roman Empire over in Italy, over in Rome, but he needed somebody to manage his kingdom in Israel. And so Agrippa, uh, Herod Agrippa, actually was the king at that time. And so on his way to to Caesar, he had to go see Agrippa first, and he begins to share his testimony with Agrippa, and he talks about how he persecuted the Christians, and how he kind of came across this man called Jesus, and, and he, would, he would persecute the Christians, and when it came time to vote against the death penalty, or whether they should be punished, he would all the time vote against the Christians, and the Bible says he would daily press them, perplex them, persecute them and try to bring a stop to this spread of this gospel of this person called Jesus because he was a criminal and he had been crucified and 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 basically Paul is laying this foundation that I was against Christ I was anti-Christ not for Christ, but one day on the road to Damascus, Jesus Christ came to me, knocked me off my horse, literally struck me blind, spoke to me. And then ultimately he led me to a man that led me to uh, Christ and opened up my eyes. And I began to see him from that moment forward. I became an ambassador of Jesus Christ and the same one that I preached against. I'm now preaching for, and I'm not going to apologize for it. He's the fulfillment of all scripture. He's the fulfillment of all prophecy. I mean, Paul is laying it out there thick and making no qualms about it. He's being super clear about where he stands with this man called Jesus. I was once anti-Christ and now I am pro-Christ. I am for Jesus Christ. And then this man Festus speaks up in verse number 24 and Festus says this, now as Paul thus made his defense, let's stand for the reading of the word, sorry, Acts chapter 26 verse 24, it says now as Paul thus made his defense. Festus said to him with a loud voice, right? This is, this is Festus yelling at Paul. This is Festus scorning Paul. Everybody say Festus. But Festus was scorning Paul. He was yelling at him. He said, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. Notice that exclamation point. I mean, Festus is screaming. He is furious. He is blue in the face, red in the juggler vein. He is mad at Paul. He said, man, you have drived yourself mad. You have educated yourself on so, so much scripture. You have convinced yourself that this Jesus Christ is the, is the fulfillment of prophecy, is the fulfillment of everything. Much learning, Paul, is driven you mad. But he said, Paul said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, for I speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before him, who I also speak freely knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes Agrippa's attention. 
Listen to this next part, and this is what we're preaching on tonight. None of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. Look to your neighbor. Say, this thing was not done in a corner. Amen. That's the title of our message tonight. This thing was not done in a corner. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be sitting under your word tonight. God, we pray that this word would find itself to the ground of the, the hearts that have been prepared, God, to receive that word. God, I acknowledge that there are those under the sound of my voice. The enemy has worked overtime all week long to harden the heart, God. But I pray by the spirit of an almighty God, Lord, before I begin to utter these words after this prayer, God, that your spirit, even as I'm praying right now, God, would begin to move in the heart of that young man, God. Move in the heart of that young woman. God, what was once hard, God, soften it by the spirit of an almighty God. Lord, if there be any fallow ground, break up that ground so that the seed of your word that's about to be brought forth, God, would find its way to their heart, God, the depths of their heart, because there, Lord, we believe it'll spring forth fruit, more fruit and much fruit, because according to your word, in our fruitfulness, Lord, you are glorified. Lord, we give you praise, glory, and honor for it. In Jesus' name, somebody shout amen. Amen. This thing was not done in a corner. So by way of introduction tonight, I want to uh, talk just a moment of some of the characteristics of God, some of the kind of three core fundamental qualities of who God is. Number one, God is omnipotent. Everybody say omnipotent. Okay, what does that mean? That means God has all power. Say all power. All right, God is omnipotent, meaning he has all power. There is no power under heaven or earth that did not originate from God. God has all power, amen. God has all power. And remember, whoever is in a position of authority is in a position of authority because God permitted it and God allowed it. All power is given by God. Number two, say omniscient. That means God is all-knowing, right? Think of conscience, your knowing, your knowledge. God knows everything. There is nothing that escapes the knowledge of God. There is nothing too complex for God. There's no geometry problem, trigonometry problem. God knew that E equaled MC squared ever long before Albert Einstein ever do it, ever did, right? God knew all of these things. God created the heavens and the earth. He is all-knowing. And thirdly, God is omnipresent. Say omnipresent. Say omnipresent. All right, you're getting with me tonight. That's good. Everywhere, at once, at all times. That's what omnipresent means. That means God is everywhere at all times. That means God can be in your heart and be in Cody's heart at the same time. That means God can be in Katie's heart and be in the president's heart all at the same time. That means God can be up in the, in the atmosphere in an astronaut shuttle like Pastor Tom says, or he can be in the depths of the ocean in a submarine with a Navy sailor. God can be anywhere at all times. In fact, uh, David said in Psalms, whether I ascend unto heaven, thou art there. Whether I make my bed in hell, thou art there. In other words, no matter where I run, no matter where I I tried to hide. I am not going to escape the presence of God. I am everywhere. That's why when people are praying for your salvation, when the people are believing God, Lord, find them wherever they're at. God doesn't have to look long because he is right where you are at. And so if you find your loved one in a position where you're not sure where they're at and what they're doing and how they got there and if they're going to get saved, just pray to that omnipresent God and says, God, I believe you're everywhere at all times. Not only is God everywhere at all times, he is everywhere at all times at all present 
past and future times, right? God is not only in my today, he's in my tomorrow waiting on me to get there. So there's no reason for me to fret. There's no reason for me to worry because I serve an omnipresent God. And if there's something in my future that the devil intended for me to bring me down and to take me out, I also serve an all-powerful God who can work out and move anything that needs to be moved. And if the devil meant for my destruction and the devil meant for my confusion, I also serve an omniscient God who knows the answer to the question of my tomorrow. He knows the problems that I'm going to face. He knows who I'm going to marry. He knows if I'm going to serve and honor him. God knows everything. God knows everything. He is everywhere at all times, past, present, and future. Amen. God can reach into your past. That's why the Bible says all things work out for the good of them that love God and honor God. How do you think God's able to work it out for your good? Amen. That doesn't mean God's going to make it all good. He's going to take the bad and work it out for the good because he's in your tomorrow waiting on you to get there. And so we wring our hands. We're worried about how we're going to pay for tuition. We're worried about how we're going to get our car. We're worried about who we're going to marry. We're worried about our future. Bless God, serve God, honor God, and seek God with all your heart, knowing that he is omnipresent. He is in your today. He is in your tomorrow. And when you get there, you're going to realize that all the fretting and all the worrying and all the perplexity and all the anxiety was worth nothing. It meant nothing because Jesus, when you show up, he goes, here I've been this whole time just waiting on you to get here. Don't worry, child of God. I got it figured out. I've been working it out for for you. Yesterday, you didn't see how it was possible, but look at what I've done today. I've been here for years waiting on you for this moment to get right where you're at. So don't be worried. Don't be perplexed. Don't be misunderstood. Understand this one thing that God is working in your tomorrow on your behalf. Amen. He is the same God today Yesterday, God can also go back into your past. And what the enemy meant for good, God can take your past. What do you mean, Pastor Tad? I mean that I was a young man who was broke, busted, and disgusted. I was so far down, I had to look up to see the bottom. I went through an abusive, I mean abusive, I mean abusive. And I'm not trying to inflate that or exaggerate it. Y'all, I went through some mess that would make y'all blush. There's things I never will share. I mean, some dark stuff in my past that I had to go through. But the reality of it is this, that Jesus Christ is in in my past, okay? And what the enemy meant for good, God could look back at my past and say, I'm going to take what that enemy meant. I'm going to take what that devil meant. And I'm going to, because of my power and because of my knowledge, I'm going to take that past of Tad and I'm going to work it out. And in the future, I plan to put a microphone in his hand. In the future, I plan to stand him in front of a bunch of teenagers. In the future, I plan to make a preacher out of him so he can stand up there with boldness and confidence and tell other young men who are going through tough situations, who can tell other young women who have been abused and broken and busted. I'm going to use that thing in his past because I'm in his past. I'm going to pull it through all the way through his future. And in the future, I'm going to put something in him so he can stand boldly with his shoulders squared back with a microphone and saying, it doesn't matter what you went through yesterday. It doesn't matter what you're going through today. Your tomorrow can look much different. Child of God, if you'll just seek God, if you'll just serve God, if you'll just honor God, God will do something inside of you that'll blow your mind. Hallelujah. Amen. Scripture tells us that a day is like a thousand years to God. Come on, a day. You woke up this morning, you'll go to bed this evening. How about a thousand years to God? Right? How this day went, it's like a thousand years to God. Right? Because of God's power and because of God's knowledge and because of his presence, he is able to see in from the beginning and has the power to shift and change things according to his will, no matter where you are at in your timeline. That said, God doesn't need to start with something big, right? God doesn't need to start with something flashy. God doesn't need to start with something obvious. 
God doesn't need to start with something huge. But friend, understand this. God starts with the seed and ends with the harvest. I just said God will always start with the seed and end in a harvest. Just because it looks insignificant today, just because it seems small today, just because that little prayer that you prayed today and nobody else heard, and that was between you and God, that moment you had with God could have been the seed that God is gonna use to bring a harvest. You never know what you're experiencing in that moment, so don't discount a single youth service, don't discount a single worship song, don't discount a single opportunity to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter how small it seems, no matter how insignificant it seems, because my God is a God who gets in the middle of small. He gets in the middle of mundane. He gets in the middle of ordinary and he does the super ordinary. He gets in the middle of natural and does the supernatural. He gets in the middle of small and does big. He gets in the middle of impossible and does possible. He gets in the middle of hard and makes it easy. God gets in the middle of problems and makes it a solution. He gets in the middle of questions and makes it an answer. He gets in the middle of helplessness and makes hope out of it. My God can do a lot with nothing. Look at David with a little rock and a slingshot. My God, God can do a lot with nothing. Somebody grab a hold of that from the Lord tonight. That God can do a lot with nothing. God can do a lot with a little. How about 12 stinky fishermen on the shores of Galilee? Come on, casting their nets and doing their business. And all of a sudden, just a few books later in the Bible, these are they which have turned this world upside down. Somebody say, God can do a lot. Come on, God can do a lot with a little. Amen. God can do a lot. God starts with the seed and ends in a harvest. See, when God told Noah that he would flood the earth, it took 120 years for Noah to build that ark. Come on. God didn't just come out one day and said, I'm going to flood the earth and then boom, lightning flashes. And all of a sudden he flooded the earth. God didn't start big. He started with a still small voice inside that man, Noah. Noah shared that still small voice and that message of God with his eight family members. And for 120 years, that's a long, long time. For 120 years, they were cutting down trees. They were building the boat when they had never rained before they were doing something and they faced ridicule and they faced persecution and at times I'm sure it felt like giving up on this thing that God said do but God listen God is invested into the long game and I know the trouble you're facing right now I know the persecution you're experiencing right now but child of God understand this one thing that God is invested in your tomorrow just as much as he's invested in your today just as much as he's invested in your yesterday God wants to see you through to a thing hath not God God spoken it shall it also come to pass a promise to Abraham took nearly 450 years before the nation of Israel was ever born imagine being that 18 19 20 30 I don't know how old Abram was I'm sure if I went back and read it I could figure it out but Abram was a relatively young man when God spoke to him when he was camped out with Ur and the Chaldean land and God said get out of this place that you're at leave your mama leave your daddy leave this place of comfort go to this place I'm going to show you and if you obey me I will make you a father of many nations listen that was a promise that God spoke and God didn't make that happen in Abraham's lifetime make it happen in Isaac's lifetime, nor did he make it happen in Jacob's lifetime, nor did he make it happen in Joseph's lifetime or any of the other 11 sons. But after 450 years of slavery and bondage, God brought those children Israel out through a man by the name of Moses by plagues and by the hand of God. God brought them out and he took them for 40 years through a wilderness and through a desert. Come on. And God is invested in the long term here. And because it doesn't look like something's going to work out now, child of God, understand this. God's got the best memory. He's got the perfect memory. If God spoke something to you, don't give up on that dream. If God said something's going to happen, don't give up on that dream. If you've been in the middle of prayer and God's put faith inside of you to believe for your mama to get saved, 
say, bless God, you better believe that promise that God put on the inside of you. You better hold tight onto that and call them saved, sanctified, delivered. If your sibling isn't in the house of God and you're believing for them to get a hold of an almighty power of God, child of God, don't give up. Have faith, stand firm, believing and knowing that God can in an instant find where your brother's at, find where your sister's at, find where your mama, your daddy, your auntie, your uncle, your grandma, your grandpa. God can go anywhere. Don't forget it. He can know all things at all times. He knows exactly what they need to hear to get to the depth of their heart. He knows exactly how to convict them. He knows exactly how to draw them and woo to them. That's why nothing's too far. Nothing's too hard. Nothing's too far gone. God can do it. Bless God if you believe. Hallelujah. But one thing is for certain. If God said it, he will see it through. So tonight, by way of introduction, we're going to explore the most notable examples in Scripture. The most notable example of Scripture of God seeing something through till the end. That is the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, the most notable example of God seeing something through from beginning to end is the testimony of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't believe me, go to the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Adam and Eve had just sinned. They'd fallen short of the grace and the glory of God. They messed up perfection. They messed up God's perfect plan. They had sinned. They'd eaten of that forbidden fruit. And God separated them from the garden. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that God spoke to the serpent. Remember, the serpent was Satan, the one who beguiled Adam and Eve. And he said, "You listen, you'll crawl on your belly all the days of your life. And I'm going to put enmity. I'm going to put a, I'm going to put a conflict between the seed of the woman and between you and his head is going to bruise uh, his heel is going to bruise your head and your head's going to bruise his heel if you look in your bible that word his is capitalized it's h that was the first prophetic utterance of god that he was going to send somebody who was going to come against that serpent he was going to send somebody who was going to bruise that who was going to crush the head of that enemy and amen he was prophesying of the coming of our lord jesus christ he said listen from the very beginning god planted that seed and it wasn't but it wasn't thousands of years later and until Jesus Christ was born, amen, until Jesus Christ came. And so prophets all throughout scripture begin to speak of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and many tried to stop it. In fact, I'm gonna give you a little history lesson. Let me share something with you. So how many of y'all have ever heard of Herod? Most of us have heard of Herod the Great and the Christmas story, yeah? So the Christmas story is this, that the wise men, they had made their way to Israel. They had made their way to King Herod the Great. And they begin to tell Herod, we saw in the star that a king is born. And Herod's like, wait a minute, there's another king other than me? That ain't okay. So let's fix that right now. And so after the wise men left, Herod gets his army together and gets all of his, his goons together. And he goes out and says, listen, I want you to find every boy under the age of two years old, even if it's in my own family. I want you to kill them. I want you to murder them. I want you to, I want you to absolutely destroy them. I mean, that was a bloody day all throughout Israel. The army went and they started killing babies. They started killing everybody under the age of two years old. Even Herod tried to stop this thing. But how many of y'all know, hath not God spoken it, shall it also come to pass, right? God said that thing was gonna happen. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi, they all prophesied of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And even... Uh, 
And the Bible says in Luke that when Jesus was born, Herod the Great tried to kill all babies because the devil wanted to try his absolute best. From the very beginning, he heard the promise of God that one day a Savior is going to be born and he is going to utterly decimate your kingdom. He is going to crush your head. And so the enemy was trying his hardest to absolutely stop that thing. You fast forward just 30 some years later, Jesus all of a sudden is, is about to step into his earthly ministry and there's another there's another Herod called Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas, Antipas is the, is the uh, uh, son of Herod the Great and John the Baptist is out there preaching and John the Baptist is preaching against Herod Antipas because Herod Antipas had married his sister-in-law and with his sister-in-law they had a daughter by the name of Salome. It was a marriage of sin and John the Baptist was preaching on that thing in the middle of John the Baptist is preaching, he got under the prophetic utterance, that same prophetic utterance that every prophet in the last couple thousand years had uttered, that same prophetic utterance that God had in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. John the Baptist said these words, listen, I'm baptizing you in water, but there's one coming after me who's mightier than I, whose shoelaces I am not willing to, or able to unbuckle. I baptize you with water, but he's coming to baptize you with Holy Ghost and fire. One day Jesus came walking down that shore of that Jordan River and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God. And so John the Baptist began to prophesy. And Salome started dancing for her dad and said, listen, I don't like what John the Baptist is saying. I don't like how he's talking against this sinful marriage. I don't like how he's talking about this Jesus. I want him dead. And so they cut off the head of John the Baptist thinking they were going to stop Jesus. But Jesus couldn't be stopped because the voice had already spoken. This is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. And you fast forward. You know, that devil thought that he would use a, a Pontius Pilate, sorry, to, to bring the death of Jesus Christ. And they hung him on the cross thinking they were going to stop it then and they were going to bring it to an end there. They put him in the grave. But how many of y'all know, three days later, he got up, he resurrected, and he rose again. And on the day of Pentecost in the upper room, that same spirit that is Jesus came and began to move on the inside of the people of God. And they couldn't stop what God was doing. And it began to spread all across Asia, Asia Minor. And throughout that period, there was an apostle by the name of James who rose up and began to preach the word of God. And then all of a sudden, Herod Agrippa I didn't like it. Didn't like that they was preaching some other king other than him. Didn't like that they were preaching the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so the Bible says that Herod Agrippa had apostle James beheaded, had his head cut off, and everybody in Tyre and Sidon began to praise Agrippa saying, you're a God. And Agrippa had the opportunity to point back to Jesus, but he never did. He took all the credit and all the glory. And the Bible Bible says an angel came, struck him dead, and ate, and the worms came and ate him up. Come on, that was Herod Agrippa. You got three Herods now that tried to stop this Jesus. And then all of a sudden, you think Jesus being dead, buried, and gone would be over with. But the spirit of him, Jesus, was on the inside of believers all across this world. And we find ourselves here in Acts chapter 26. Paul is sharing of this testimony that Jesus isn't dead. He's very much alive and well because I met him on the road to Damascus. I met him on my way to persecute Christians. I met him on my way to murder the people of God. You thought he was dead, but he is very much alive. He came and showed himself to me, and he came and revealed himself to me. He is everything that God spoke of in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He is everything that the prophets spoke of. He is everything that great men and women of God spoke of. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. And Festus spoke up and said, listen, Paul, you've gone mad. We killed Jesus. He is dead. It's, he's a, he was a criminal. He is gone. 
And Paul said, listen, and I love it because he doesn't even address Festus. He goes, you know, you're fine, most noble Festus, fine, fine. But let me talk to Agrippa for a second. He goes, because he knows. He knows what his daddy did. He knows what his great-grandpa did. He knows what his grandpa did. He knows how they tried to kill Jesus when he was just an infant. He knows how they tried to shut Jesus up when he was in, in Pilate's court. He knows how they tried to shut Jesus up when, when James was preaching about it. He knows this thing wasn't done in a corner. God did this thing in open display in front of everybody. The Jesus Christ, a voice spoke from heaven in front of thousands, said, this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. It was undisputed when he walked on that water. It was undisputed when Lazarus came up out of that grave. It was undisputed when they put him in that grave and three days later he rose again. It was undisputed when thousands saw him on that mount of transfiguration and he ascended up into heaven. It was undisputed when the power of God fell in Acts chapter 2. Listen, when God does something, he doesn't do it in a corner. When God has planted a seed that's thousands of years old, that's generations old, and that thing is time to flourish, and that thing is time to blossom, and that thing is time to bloom. Listen, you're not going to put that thing in the corner. God's going to make sure it blossoms and everybody sees it. Everybody sees the splendor and the glory of it and the power of it and the anointing of it. And Paul said, listen, this thing wasn't done in secret. This thing wasn't done in the corner. And I would to God, the people of God would grab a hold of the word of God and believe what it says in the book of Joel. Then in the last days, I will pour out my spirit, says God. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. The sons and the daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall dream dreams. Your old men shall see visions and upon my servants and upon my handmaidens will I also pour out my spirit in this last days and let me tell you something that won't be done in a corner either this thing was not done in a corner it may have started with the small promise of God when there were but two humans on this planet Adam and Eve but God plays the long game Jesus came and fulfilled every prophecy every promise of prophecy in fact the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy in other words, Jesus' literal testimony is that he is the essence and fulfillment of every prophetic utterance. Paul's exclamation to Agrippa right in the middle of King Agrippa's court was this thing. Everybody say this thing was not done in a corner. This thing wasn't to be hidden in history or relegated to some dark corner in time. This thing was done in undisputed fashion. This thing was done when God does a thing. Come on. When God decides to do a thing, he does it through a flood sometimes. When God decides to do a thing, he does it from fire calling, falling down from heaven in Mount Carmel. When God decides to do a thing, he brings a big old giant down to the ground. When God decides to do a thing, he brings, he brings plagues to deliver three million people out of the hand of evil and Herod the first, Herod the second, Herod the third, and Herod the fourth. Everything they could do to try to stop this thing. Somebody say this thing. Come on. The Pharisees couldn't shut this thing up. The cross didn't end this thing. In fact, this thing was brought forth after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and ultimately the promise of his spirit multiplied and the life of his church. And this thing is now continuing in the life of believers all around this world. Many say, many say in their own life, well, this thing is what God did in me. It's a private thing that God did for between he and I. Friend, you are wrong. This thing that he did in you is for the world. This thing that he did in you is for the multitudes. This thing that God did in you so that everyone might know that there's a God in heaven who still saves, who still heals, and still delivers. What am I saying tonight? That God made a prophetic promise through the prophet Joel about what he was going to do in these last days, and that is this. I will pour out my spirit, God said. I'll continue this thing. 
This thing didn't die when Jesus went up to heaven, right? This thing didn't die when the last apostle breathed their last breath. This thing didn't die, right, with the Roman church or the establishment of any church. This thing is still very much alive in me. Somebody say, in me. Just like Herod couldn't stop this thing, neither can that same antichrist spirit that's alive and well today can't stop this thing either. There was a spirit of antichrist back then, against Christ, to stop Christ, wanted to come against Christ. That same spirit is alive and well today. It's against Christ. Don't you dare talk about Christ in the workplace. You could talk about all the other liberal movements. You could talk about, you could talk about all these other cults. You could talk about every other religion. But watch what happens when you stand firm on the name of Jesus. Watch how they look at you just a little bit different. There's a spirit of antichrist in this world because when you yield over to Christ, that relationship with Christ demands things change in your life. This thing cannot be stopped. And so neither can that same antichrist spirit stop it today. For three and a half years, Jesus did undisputed works. For thousands of years, the church did signs, wonders, and miracles. And you think for one second, this thing's going to stop now because of some liberal agenda that's out there to stop and abort the plan and the cause of Christ. I think not. This thing is coming to an end, but it won't end on a downbeat. Make no mistake about it. Come on, we're talking about this thing tonight, this thing being the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? What he's doing here on this earth, the time on this earth, this thing's coming to an end. But listen, it's not going to end on a downbeat at all. It's going to end on a crescendo, on a climax of a victorious, triumphant church. That's how this thing's going to end. It will end with a fire-filled group of young people who will usher in a harvest so huge, so massive, that it cannot be and it will not be disputed. Listen, God starts with the seed and ends with the harvest. That's how you know this thing's about to end because it's going to end in a harvest. I said it's going to end in a harvest. It started with the seed in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when Adam and Eve sinned. And from that moment forward, mankind had been separated from God. Jesus Christ came as the fulfillment of that promise. And for thousands of years, that seed has been growing and growing and growing. And Acts chapter 2, that seed began growing in me, began growing in you, began growing in this thing called the church. And one day, soon and very soon, this thing's going to come to an end. But remember, God doesn't start out big and end in a fizzle. God doesn't start out big and end small. God starts out with a seed and he ends with a massive, huge harvest, a testimony. And that's what God's going to do in this last day through you, young people, through you. This thing is inside of you and God's going to use you. The Bible says in the last days, right, they're going to, that the fields are white and ready for harvest, but the laborers are few. There's a harvest that is ready in this last days. That harvest is a result of the seed that God planted way back when in that garden when there were just two people here on this planet. But now there's billions of people on this planet. Started with the seed. Now there's a harvest. The question is this. Are you going to allow the enemy to back this thing into a corner? Because here's what Paul said. Listen, Agrippa, you know what I'm talking about. Because God's been doing this thing out in the open for everyone to see. You know, there's no other religion that can be accounted for, validated through historical reference. There's no other religion. You go read your Bible. You can look in the history books and validate everything that's in that Bible. It's been done out in the open. It wasn't done on some mountaintop. Some weirdo came down from a mountain and said, Allah said this, that this thing was done in the open. And anything that was done privately, God validated in the open. Right? I mean, when God spoke to Moses, 
out of that burning bush. Number one, it was a burning bush. It was obvious. <laughs> Wasn't some, I am God. Right? But just in case, Moses shows up and says, God said something. They don't believe it. What's God do? He says, here, here's some plagues. Now tell me that he's lying. Right? By the way, here's a staff. Boom, Red Sea gets parted. Now tell me he's lying. Now tell me he's making this up. God put that little small unction on the inside of David to serve and honor God. Right? So you're not anointed to be king. But I tell you what, when that giant landed square, when that rock landed square between the giant's eyes and he fell down, undisputed. God spoke to Gideon. Gideon's got his army. God said, we're going to defeat the Midianites. When an angel, when God comes and slays enemies, it makes it obvious that the hand of God, I mean, when you can bring down the city of Jericho without a sword, without a shield, but you can bring it down with a shout unto God, that is undisputed. That antichrist spirit all throughout history has been trying to shove this thing in the corner. Shut Jesus up. Relegate Jesus to a point in history. And I'm going to say this, and this might be a little harsh, but it's the truth. There is no generation than the generation right now where the enemy's been more successful in shutting Jesus up and backing him into a corner. <laughs> That's what makes you so dangerous. That's what makes you so lethal. If you make up in your mind, friend, it doesn't take a lot. Remember, God can do a little with a lot. It had 120 in the upper room and they turned that world upside down. God can do a little with a lot. God can do a little with 85, 90 kids here tonight. This thing was not done into a corner. God's going to do this thing and it's going to be obvious to the whole world. Thanks for listening. If you were blessed or encouraged, go ahead and subscribe to the Impact Podcast and share it with a friend to bless them too. Connect with us on Instagram at impactym and remember you can have as much of God as you want.